0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Greetings and salutations to all of my unlucky lounge rats listening from all over the multiverse. It is wonderful. I see you have walked here to the Unlucky Lounge in historic Monoscrew Manor for another episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Cory, your limited lore master and denizen of this local fine establishment, and with me as always, the best of all the bears. His name is Borok, my bear-tending friend. It's almost summertime. Well, you're right about that, Borok. We are about 20 days short of summer. But only a day before June. You see, this episode is being recorded on May 31st. But before we get to the month of June, we have something very, very important that we must do. But before we get to that, a few bits of housekeeping. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at believe.com or wherever you download your podcast. Great content to help keep you entertained throughout the day. And for all my Unlucky Lounge rats out there, or people just tuning into the podcast for the first time, welcome and check us out on Twitter, Draft and Draft Corey. Find us on our Patreon, and become part of the Unlucky Lounge community. Well, our housekeeping is done, the Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet, and today's topic at hand. For my return listeners, you know that this is the first month that I have had a chance to be playing Magic Arena. Okay, fair enough, I've been putting a lot of time into it, but Barak, I, I don't think I'm neglecting my duties around here. I mean, maybe I could pick up a few things around the bar, but can you blame me? It's like Christmas morning, I keep going back to it, but that time when you get the game that you've always loved. The new sequel has come out. You run downstairs, open up the present, and all the wrappings go to the side as you realize exactly what you love has been there the entire time. And that's exactly what this month has been for me and Arena. And so, the journey began. Countless drafts upon drafts were put into this game, and now we've reached the pinnacle, the moment. It's March 31st, I am currently Diamond 1 with one win away from Mythic, and here on the podcast, we are going to see if I can ascend to the final step and make it to Mythic the day before rotation. That's right, it's time for us to keep making stories, and we do it with only four hours left on the clock before the season ends. But before we get to describing the deck and playing the games out, I think it's time for you to celebrate yourself. So take a second, find a snack, find a drink, and let's all cheers to the untapped step. That's right folks, it's the morning time when we're recording this, so a coffee a day keeps the doctor away. I'm fairly confident no one actually ever said that, but regardless. Let's start by talking about the deck that may or may not take us to that mythic ranking. Pick one, pack one was pretty basic there. Not much going, a couple multicolor cards, not really wanting to dedicate myself too far into it. But we did end up on perhaps some of the best removal in the set. The common instant speed black removal spell known as Blood Curdle. With that in the pack, we feel confident knowing we can go any which way. In this format with blood curl in my stack i really like to start to move towards black red the sacrifice theme getting some chip damage in getting through for some points maybe picking up a bastion of remembrance and just making our board so tough to answer it's not a one for one removal deck but it's quite good in the way that it can generate advantage and if i can play any number of whisper squads well (laughs) that makes me quite the happy planeswalker i think by the end of the format. Whisper Squad himself will be my number one most drafted card of all of Ikoria. Now, I know the card itself lends to having multiple copies in your deck, but still, I have drafted quite a lot of Whisper Squad. We see the second pack, and we look, and suddenly, we see ourselves a bit of shiny, a bit of gold. In fact, seven mana pips of big momentum swing. It was Eerie Ultimatum. Blood Curdle going into Eerie Ultimatum, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? This feels like a plan. And as me and my friend like to say, we did not come here to not draft ultimatums. Okay, so maybe that is a double negative, Borak, but the draft continues on with a very clear route to victory. That was get controlling elements, pick up some sleeper darts, maybe a few spring draw traps, some good fixing, and make ourselves into a pretty snazzy, eerie ultimatum daggon. I've done this before and has paid off in dividends. And so, the draft starts and continues. We pick up an early firefinder. Feeling pretty good. Skull Prophet in pack 1 thinks, alright, so now we can really start to branch out our colors. Even an alert bonder came around on the table, and I knew that green was the place to be. Feeling quite good going into pack two, pick one yields very little. The pack is quite clearly slanted towards the cycling and red-blue spells deck. And so, knowing that we were in white, we took a Swallow Hole. The removal spell for one white mana, the sorcery, that has an additional cost. You tap your creature. Then you exile a tapped creature and put a counter on the creature that you tapped to pay the spell's additional cost. Over time, Swallowhole has, on the whole, not been very impressive to me. Wow, I don't know if they're booing at me because of the bad pun or the card evaluation. Alright, everyone calm down, calm down. I'm not biased against white and I'm not biased against good removal. What I am highlighting with Swallow Hole is that this card is quite awkward. In order for this card to really get value, your opponent has to be attacking. Some of the best decks in the format aren't necessarily attacking. They're cycling away all their value so that they can then alpha strike you with the Zenith Flare. However, Swallow Hole has this issue of You got to tap a creature, put your shields down to use it, and then you also have the same situational level of it being a removal spell. It's just not as good as say a Fire Prophecy or a Blood Curl in my opinion. It's definitely not as good as a Dire Tactics or Heartless Act. Is it a good card? Yes. If I'm white, will I play it? Absolutely. When I open it up though, and when I draw my opening hand, I really think about that clause more than I used to at the top of the format. It's just food for thought, gang. The more you know. In the early moments of pack 2, the best pickup that I found was a Karuga the Macrosage. Now, don't get me wrong, this card is phenomenally strong in the 40. But I've really come down from playing it as a companion. The cost is too steep. And if you don't have that, let's say, easy access to one and two monocyclers to thin out your draw, you don't find the good removal to bring you back from the brink after you've basically passed the first two turns, that card can be really tricky to come back from. This format's no slouch. People can curve one, two, three, four, and have so much value on the table that Karuga, well, while it's going to catch up, it's just so... Poorly placed out of tempo. And so Kruga confidently went into the drafted pile. Intended to go into the main deck. Now the other thing that was very interesting about this pack. Is that I end up picking an Unbreakable Bond. Let's talk about the low-key yet explosive reanimation deck out of Ikoria. Undoubtedly this format will be remembered for the crazy cycling deck, for the absurd mutation permutations and the red-black sacrifice deck being alive and well. But the reanimation deck creates these board states and plays that are so massive that they cannot be ignored and must be answered. The second my opponent cycles a greater sandworm on turn two, I immediately go to back for more or unbreakable bond and I make plans to figure out how can I deal with that card right here, right now. It's literally a reason to be playing green. While green is still probably the worst color in its format, I stand by what I said two episodes ago. If you're being past the green deck, you should be in the green deck. It's got strong mutate payoffs, and the reanimation that this deck has is so much fun and is so explosive. I think that this plan should not be put aside, and if you see it, you go for it. Pack 2 finished with a couple other pretty basic picks. We picked up an Ivy Elemental, a card that I've been slowly becoming more impressed with if you have the tools to get to the late game. It's not necessarily always a mutate target for me even though that's what this card reads this is one of the few mana sinks in the format and mana sinks can be so particularly rare in icoria and when you're playing to the late game can be so very important things like the mentor cycle and the ivy elemental have gone up slowly for me in the decks that play more life gain This includes the Vigilance decks, the ones that have excessive lifelink counters, which is why Duskfang Mentor, the Black Mentor, has really gone up in my estimation. I think the Mentors that have activated abilities of only two mana are the ones that really outshine the others. Staying mana efficient, making your other plays, keeping a board presence, and threatening something that is going to continue to grow is a good way to win the game. Pack 3 starts off relatively reasonably. I'm still on the plan of casting this eerie ultimatum, and I'm actively looking for any sources of fixing. I already have one Farfinder, but finding dual ends has become much more sparse over time. I ended up taking a Trumpeting Gnar, knowing that I wasn't going to be in blue, but the mutate being simply three green green was still something that was pretty appealing to me. And then, we get past it. Folks, sometimes it's easy being green. We got past pick three in pack three, A Akogla the Titan Ape. This is a card that if you just resolve sometimes, you just immediately win the game. And the fact that I already had an unbreakable bond made me quite apt to play and trade it off and bring it right back. If Kogla needs to actively fight and trade with something else on the board, having the backup between Corpse Churn or an Unbreakable Bond back for more, or even a Survivor's Bond, makes that play much more reasonably. Speaking of Survivor's Bond, happily did I take one of those. I already had one Skull Prophet and ended up with a second one in pack number three. And I think that Survivor's Bond in the main deck... In decks like this, where you're looking to fill up the graveyard and you've got a fair distribution of humans and of non humans, it can really pay you out in the long run. The draft ended, and at the end of it, we had no fixing, folks. Fixing was rough. R O U G H. And I sat down, looked at the pile of cards, and had to make the swift determination. That we were not playing eerie ultimatum. I know it hurts me too. These ultimatums are so satisfying and powerful when you cast it, but when you can't cast one, you just can't. When I have no real sources of getting reliable fixing, it's just not there. I have a migratory great horn. I have a far finder. I've got a crystal. But even besides all of that, it's just not on the table right now. But looking at the deck, there's plenty of late game explosive play to push me through to victory. We've got the Unbreakable Bond that combos with not just one, but two cyclers. We have a Greater Sandworm. We have uh, Titanoth Rex, the 11-11 Trampler that gives a trample counter. We've got the routes to get into the red zone and win with an explosive play. Plus, we have Ivy Elemental that can function both early and late, and between our three different sources of two mana ramp, it's justified to not play the Eerie Ultimatum. We can still win the game, and we can still have plenty of value to win it with. And trust me, I do love me some value. So in the end, we're a Golgari deck with a minor sub-package in reanimation, big, explosive, large mana plays, and a few ways to gain some big card advantage. As it currently stands, the deck is 1-0, with a win against the blue-red spells deck. We got there comfortably after making some big, large plays with a Honey Mammoth and getting the Greater Sand Worm, and of course value off of casting Karuga. Man, is there anything better than saying Karuga when you cast that card? I don't know if there are many things that are better. You see, Borak, now you're getting it. We're living that best dinosaur hippo life. Man, you really do gotta love the creature types in this set. After playing the first game out, the one thing that I want to tweak about this deck is the amount of two costing mono-ramp cards. In game number one, when I played the deck out, it just felt like I needed more big explosive stuff in order to close out the game. Finding mana was not the problem, I'm running 16 lands plus a far finder and 3 different cards on 2 mana that ramp us out, great! But those creatures, when it comes to later down the line, they just don't do much. And so, I'm going to cut the humble naturalist and put in a horn bash mentor, which is going to assist with playing cards like Karuga, Honey Mammoth, even the Greater Sandworm to push us through and get that final win to move us into the Mythic Nation. But before we find out the results of that live here on the podcast, we're going to take a quick commercial break, get ourselves mentally ready, and then go into the big climactic game will we make it to mythic here live on the podcast stick around and we'll find out together welcome back all my unlucky lounge rats I hope you had a nice break as I'm about to press the big glowy orange button of play to see if we can make it to the mythic nation <laughs> Yes, Bork, I agree. This is hype. This is nothing but hype. I forgot to talk about a really fun interaction before as well. My opponent had captured, sphered my Kogla, the Titan Ape, and that mostly takes care of the card. And I thought it was funny because it can't attack, it can't destroy the capture sphere, but... There was actually some real value in that activated ability of being able to return a human from your battlefield to your hand. And then you just get to keep recurring value and not, uh, let's say, being vulnerable to any removal spells. All right, so we're playing against I'm Drunk. Apparently he knew he was playing against the Unlucky Lounge. Good for him. And they are on Luris. Oof, that's a lot to take in. So we opened up with a hand of... Horn Bash Mentor, Ivy Elemental, Swallow Hole, then four lands that are Golgari. It's kinda close. I think it's a mulligan though. I really want to come out early in this game, so having this is kinda meh Now, the Horn Bash Mentor comes down on three, and I get to draw. Alright. It's close, but let's let's keep it. Let's keep it and see what happens. In the old hello? They got the sweet uh, Sliver Sweeves. Hmm. They're, they're Weaponize the Monsters deck as well. Turn one, Mountain Weaponize. Drew another land, past the turn. If we could draw a two-drop in this next turn, that would be pretty magical. One thing about this deck is it could get out-tempoed underneath it. But we do have a lot of two-drops. are really tanking over this one play here. Cycling a Startling Development? It's interesting. They did draw a swamp. I'm expecting a Whisper Squad here. And they passed. All right. Okay. Not a bad place to be. We drew a Titanoth Rex. I don't think I'm going to run this out. Actually, I'm, I feel pretty good. Okay. The fact that they missed on uh, turns one and or turn two. They just cycled. Looks like they drew probably a swamp off the cycle. Feeling good. Not a bad place to be, Borak. Not a bad place to be. Oh, wow. They just cycled Monstrous Step on their turn. Oof. I'm feeling really good now. I think we're going to cycle this Godzilla for now. Actually, we do have the Hornbash Mentor. They're not doing anything. Let's just go to turn. Alright, now we're just going to run out of the Hornbash Mentor. We can cycle the Godzilla onto the Ivy Elemental on turn 5 and then start to grow it. It's pretty good. If they're just bricking. And they're cycling Wilt. Oof. Our opponents are in a real tight spot. They did draw planes now. So they have Mardu. And we just drew a Farfinder. Changes plans a little bit. Now we can cast the Swallow Hole. So I think we just swing with the Hornbash Mentor. I'm gonna play the Farfinder, get a Plains, and then we can start to get some big value with Ivy Elemental, Cycling, and Godzilla. So all right, we start with the Swing. I'm hoping the Swallow Hole will do some work. Farfinder was a really sweet draw. Still gotta be afraid of that weapon as the monsters though. It is poised to do some work. Speaking of which, what do they cycle? Did they cycle any creatures? They did not cycle any creatures, it's three spells. Well, speaking of cycling, they just cycled a, uh, <laughs> a Dranith healer, so... As much as we were happy to avoid that Borak, not quite something we're able to avoid yet. Hopefully, we can take care of this Luris with a Swallow Hole, because I reckon they're going to be trying to corpse churn it or bring it back to get max value. I mean, there certainly is some comfort in knowing that each permanent card our opponent has is a CMC of two or less. It looks like they're really stretching to Companion Dolores. They've got Mantra Step and Wilt. It's two mana off-color cyclers. Like They're really stretching for playables. And then they just passed. Huh. We drew a Bushmeat Poacher, so I think we're just gonna swing and let them do their thing. They want removal spell, the Hornbash Mentor, that's fine. Then hopefully this Bushmeat Poacher is going to take care of whatever other kind of good removal they might have. But the goal is to let that hit the board. And then let the card draw and the life gain take us through to the end game. Yep, there's the Flame spell. And yeah, we're going to resolve that. Good news is we do have Survivor's Bond to bring it back later on. But every turn we're just passing, we're just making this Ivy Elemental ever better. And I'm very okay with that. Plus, this Bushmeat Poacher could have gotten Flame Spilled, And I really think this Bushmeat Poacher is going to do some work. As long as we keep him open, the weaponized the Monsters should be kept at bay for the most part. Well, you know, I, I would take a bear. I would take an Exuberant Wolf Bear. I wish that card was in this deck. We actually have a number of decent... Oh, now we just got Memory Leaked. Well... It's kind of bad, but I mean the good news is we're gonna have a big creature regardless of his target. He probably should get the Ivy Elemental. Would be my guess. But then we just keep the Godzilla for endgame. We already have five lands on the battlefield plus two in hand. So it's only two land draws away. Plus the Bushmeat Butcher will get us there too. Now he went for the Ivy Elemental and miss another land drop. Alright, so... It's time to just swing for the fences, give him the face. My guess is that he probably has a good piece of removal somewhere in that deck. Take care of the Godzilla, a Heartless Act, or a Blood Curdle. The good news is we are protected from Heartless Act, if that's what he's going to try and do right now, because we can cycle the Godzilla. We did swing with the creatures. I think our goal is to try and get the damage down as much as we can. Alright, there comes a checkpoint officer. Kind of bad against small Hole. Lurus is still primed. Ooh, Savai Thundermane. That guy's gonna be a problem. But he'll just never swing at that card. Alright, at this point now, we are just going to keep passing and doing things. Oh. Well, that was an unbreakable bond. So game plan, folks, is now to cycle Godzilla and bring it back with Unbreakable Bond, and then we get to leave mana open to sacrifice it if need be. I think this is our... No, we're not going to swim with the Bushmeat Poacher. I think there's some value to Farfinder sacking it to gain a life and draw a card. They're starting to get a little strong, so we're just going to pass the turn here. (laughs) Yeah, Borath, the Savaii Thundermane really threw things into a wrench a little bit, but the fact that we have the Bushmeat Poacher means we basically get to turn any of our things into value. Although the Luris plus Weaponize is starting to get real, they did make their fourth land drop, so the value train is coming. But once we make this Godzilla play, hopefully they're going to have to keep Checkpoint Officer up for the rest of the game. Now they're cycling a wilt. Survive Thundermain. Are they going to target the Farfinder? They might. I don't know. I don't know if they will. They're probably just looking to draw land and then get some value. And we're definitely putting them. Definitely putting them on Xena Flare here. Yep, there's the Survive trigger. And Bushmeat Poacher happily activates. Sack the Farfinder. Alright, we drew another forest, and yeah, resolve the wilt. They're tapped out. They're gonna probably attack, no. Alright, so the game plan is on. It's time to cycle Godzilla and Unbreakable Bond it. Get an 11-11 trample on the board. Ooh, and we just drew the fight as one. This card's gonna be some sweet utility. Alright, we have a real plan now. Unbreakable Bond, get Godzilla back... Oh, man, this feels like a make-it-to-mythic kind of play. Really hoping. Got three mana open. Got the bushmeat poacher. Should we attack here? I think we attack here. Yeah, let's start to get the damage in. No. Well, we've got the fight as one as backup. I mean, the worst they can do is exile it. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass the turn. If they if they have some kind of exile, like a blade banish, I do want to gain the 11 life if they are, in fact, a Zenith Flare deck. Oh. <laughs> It's a good place, but the checkpoint officer is going to keep us in check. Pardon the pun. I'm telling you, sometimes these puns don't just come planned, my unlucky lounge rats. They just come naturally. This is what happens when you work for six years on a ship as an entertainment officer and host. You just end up coming up with bad puns all over the place. They're in the tank. This could be a Lurus time. How many cyclers do they have in their graveyard? One, two, three. Three, four, five, six cyclers. And now they play a valiant rescuer. Okay. That's a, that's a thing you can do. It's a pretty good thing you can do as well. Now they have to keep two mana open for checkpoint officer. If they have a land, that'd be nice, yeah. What I'd give for a hexproof counter, folks, on Godzilla. That would be the cheese. Right, my turn. Ooh, and there is a survivor's bond. Virus Bond can bring back Farfinder and Hornbash Mentor. Some sweet value. And now they're, they are priced out a Valiant Rescuer right now. Maybe I can make them trade one or either. Getting either off the board would be really, really good at this point. And we still have the fight as one. If they had a Blade banish; they would have snapped off last turn so I feel pretty good to swing here. And if they choose to double block, which I don't think they will. Then I get to fight as one. Get both creatures. But the real value here is I get to Survivor's Bond. We're going to bring back the Hornbash Mentor and Farfinder. And since we already have a trample counter on the Bushmeat Poacher, oh, they let us go to attacks. That's interesting. Alright, show me what you're working with. Attack with both creatures. What could they have... Cycling Footfall Crater, sure. Yeah, resolve all your triggers. No yeah, we'll blockers, what are you going to do? This is the 11-11 trample. I think this fight as one is really going to get them. Alright, so they're blocking with Survive Thundermane and the token they got off of cycling with a Valiant Rescuer. Yeah, we're going to fight as one. Save it. So choose both. Target a human, target this and they're going to be at 1 at the end of this. Alright. They're at 1. We're at 32. We're going to cast the Survivor's Bond. We are going to get both values off of it. Hornbash Mentor, come back. Farfinder, come back to the team. Mm, you love to see it. It's going to be very difficult for them to get out of because then we get to start to ever grow all the creatures on our board. I mean, the truth is, this game was won off the fact that they just didn't have any early mana or interaction. They just spent their first couple turns cycling and their life away. <laughs> yeah, Borak, this was a pretty lucky result, I would say. One Mentor on the Farfinder. And then we're going to pass the turn. And Granted, they have a, a window to answer Godzilla, but we do have two other creatures with Trample on our board. Feeling good, feeling good. Alright, Cycling Adrenaline Stinger, you got it. Fifth land drop, we've got an 11 11. We got a 1 1, a 2 4, Hornbash Mentor. Three of our creatures have Trample Counter. This is a fingers crossed. Can we get there? We're hoping. We are hoping. They have to have a removal spell for the Bushmeat Poacher and the Godzilla right now, which would be pretty good for them. But they're at 1. I don't think we miss a point of damage anywhere. <laughs> I don't know, Borok. This is the moment. This is the moment, as David Hasselhoff says in the Jekyll and Hyde musical. That's right, friends. We made a real deep Jekyll and Hyde musical reference. This jazz in the background in the Unlucky Lounge is super unassuming right now. All right, they're starting by cycling a Frost Valley ambush. that feels like a cycle to find an answer. The good news is Heartless Act is not an answer whatsoever. Three of our creatures have trample counters on them would answer the Hornbash Mentor, which is not nothing. This is something that's really cool about this format, though, is the green deck with the reanimation going wide, and the Mentors have slowly come around from, I think, their pretty low evaluation at the top of the format. Alright, so they passed through. They've got four mana open, obviously for Checkpoint Officer, and probably Cycle, tapping Godzilla. I think... We have a migratory Great Horn, two lands, and a Swallow Hole in hand. I think once we use this Great Horn on the Farfinder, that should push through the final points of damage and get us there. Cast Mutate on the Farfinder. Put it over, which gives us five points of trample damage to their, what I'm guessing, three points of toughness to block with. Pending something silly here, this feels like we might make it Fingers crossed, a Lucky Lounge Rats. Could this be the moment? Sure enough, Checkpoint Officer is tapping Godzilla. That resolves. Now we're going to go into the red zone. They have two mana open. They can weaponize the monsters, but that's not going to help with all the trample damage that we have here. Cycling and Memory Leak. Wow, they really are dedicated cyclers probably just very lucky that we didn't see the Xena Flare. That's how this format goes, sometimes they have the Xena Flare, sometimes they don't. One white mana, they could have a fight as one, but even if they did, the blocks would have to be something special. They have all humans, they can only get one side of it, and the trample I think is gonna get them. Is Ikoria one of the best limited formats of all time? it's good it's complex it's fun i kind of prefer Throne or theros beyond death really enjoy those formats all right they're double blocking the bushmeat poacher single blocking the migratory great horn activate the horn bash mentor put some counters on our guys could they have light of hope would that gain them life to get them out of this Oh man, could you imagine Light of Hope coming down and getting us in the last moment? Uh, They're almost out of time. Their timeouts are used. Cycling and Frost Ambush, I think that's it. I think we got it. Woo! That is it, Unlucky Lounge Rats. Graphic is there. Karn, blown up. I'm drunk, GG. Diamond tier now goes to Mythic rank. Lucky Lounge Rats, happy to report a positive game result making us climb to the mythic nation it was a fun journey to get there I had a wonderful time playing with all of you out there and I hope you had a wonderful time tuning in and listening so all my unlucky lounge rats, that brings us to the end of this episode of draft and draft so go out there Make some magical memories of your own. My name is Corey. Joining me, as always, is our wonderful bartender Borak, and we'll see you on our next episode of Draft and Draft.